Uh, well, I, I just want to start off, I know we've all had different kinds of weeks this week, I know everyone has uh, different journeys each week, but I just wanted to start off by explaining a bit about uh, our week this week, and probably I thought a couple of pictures would quickly explain it, quicker than I could say it. Um, there's my Monday morning. Um, for those of you who don't know, Caleb was airlifted to Geelong on Monday morning, uh, he had really bad croup, and they were, the, the moment we took him into hospital, um, they, they rang their the ambulance, the air ambulance from Melbourne and uh, the nurses from the Royal Children's were brought down from Melbourne to, to help look after Caleb and uh, he was flown to Geelong and uh, praise God, he's, he's well, he, you probably have seen and heard him running around this morning. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it was a pretty crazy, fast flying journey, flying. <laughs> um, and he was... He's in hospital. He's, he's actually looking quite a bit better there, but he was very lethargic and just really struggling to breathe. But um, I just want to say thank you to those who were praying and praise God for healing. Praise God for um, the medical services we have in, in this nation. Um, I was just blown away how quickly they had a, a helicopter there ready for my little boy just, just in case um, things got any worse. And actually, I just, I just really wanted to pray for those involved in, in emergency responses and things this morning. I know we had our emergency training day yesterday, some people were getting trained. But Lord, I just thank you for the, for the medical services we have available to us in this city. Lord, I just pray for your encouragement. Lord, for those that are here this morning that are nurses and doctors and Lord, anyone who's involved in, in that whole uh, area, Lord, of emergency ministries, Lord, for those involved in our emergency ministries team, Lord, uh, in fire and SES and all these services, Lord, I just pray for your encouragement for them. Lord, I just thank you for the blessing they are to our city, to our nation, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for your healing power as, as well, Lord. Lord, I firmly believe that, Lord, it was you at work as well as the medical treatment that helped Caleb recover. And Lord, we just thank you for, for these ones that serve us and uh, for your blessing in this way. In Jesus' name. You know, some people think suffering... Um, is a reason not to believe in a loving God. Some people see suffering and say, there you go, there's evidence that God can't be a loving God. But the Bible actually tells us that God made the world perfect. It was good in every way. It was, it was very good. But He said, if you sin, if you disobey, death and destruction will follow. And God has just been true to His Word, that exactly what He said would, has, would happen has happened. That sin entered the world, we've ignored God, we've done our own thing, and death and destruction and decay is a result of sin on this earth. The fact that God still offers us eternal life, the fact that God offers us hope even though we're sinners, that is the evidence that there is a loving God. I don't think suffering shows us that God isn't loving, it just shows us how even more loving He is. Yeah, there's suffering. Yeah, there's terrible things that happen in the world. We live in a broken, sinful world. People hurt each other. In fact, I've been talking to a few different people over the last few months about... Um, you know, some people say if God was a loving God, He would have stopped that from happening. And I can understand that thought. And there's things even this week that we can think of that we sort of think, well, God could have stopped that. But then if God stops one thing, what do, when does He not stop? Does He stop someone hurting someone? Does He stop someone 
doing things that cause someone to be hurt. To someone, we, we say things sometimes without even meaning to that hurt people. And God's given us free will. And He doesn't control us. He doesn't make us robots. We have a, a free will and that's His love. But unfortunately, because we've all, we all sin, we all hurt one another, there's consequences. And I think it breaks God's heart. And I think it should break our heart too. Uh, I heard this saying the other day, our perspective either becomes our prison or our passport. It's our, uh, the perspective we bring to the situation that we either become locked inside that situation or we, it becomes our passport through the situation. We can get bitter because of suffering. We can get bitter because of things that have happened in our lives, the things that we see around us. Because of the pain, we, we get angry and we can get, uh, get imprisoned by situations and circumstances and things that happen in our lives. Or we can have a perspective of praise, that God, even though these things happen, thank you, God, that you still love me. And if our perspective is praise, that we can't be locked in, imprisoned by any situation that happens in our lives. We, we, we can't be held captive. We're a bit like Paul and Silas in the jail, even though we might be locked up, we, we can't be kept captive in our hearts. So we know Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. And our, our perspective is critical. Today we're going to conclude our series on Nehemiah. We've got through our 10 weeks in the book of Nehemiah. And again, perspective is critical. We've zoomed in on, not every chapter, because there's 13 chapters in 10 weeks, doesn't quite work, but we've, we've zoomed in on the chapters as we've gone through the book of Nehemiah. But today we want to just step back a little bit again and, and get the whole perspective of the book and the book within the book of the whole Bible. Um, before I went to Bible college and, and started training in ministry, I, my, my plan was to go and do industrial design at uni. Um, I love to create. I paint in my spare time, very occasionally. <laughs> um, I've still got an unfinished wave painting at home. But I, I love to create. I, I have a creative flair within me and I've read about art and I enjoy looking at art a little bit. And uh, some of you would know about pointillism art. And here's uh, probably a bad example, but an example of pointillism art. And from a distance, it just looks like a beautiful painting. And it, like I said, it's probably a bad example because it's a close-up. But um, a pointillism art, it, it's, a, it's dots. It's just fine dots that make up the beautiful painting, the beautiful picture. If you, if you zoom in closer, you, you, you begin to see that there is actually this painting is made of dots. And if you zoom in even closer, you, you begin to see that, oh, that, 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 that eye is made up of greens and blues and tur turquoises and, and blacks and whites and greys. It's not just a, a blue eye. It's, it's a series of colours and there's detail, and there's, there's beauty in the detail. But don't miss the picture for all the dots. I think some people zoom in on, on issues and things in life and they, they study the intricate details of things, but they miss the beauty of the whole painting. They, they miss that this is a beautiful picture. And, and the, Bible, the, the, the Bible is a beautiful painting, a picture of God's love for us. And as we zoom in on different parts, I was, this analogy actually I heard from someone who works in a Bible college and someone asked them, how do you guys get along when you all study the Bible? And I'm sure you have different perspectives on things. How do you get along when you all disagree? And, and he used this illustration of saying, the, the Bible is a beautiful artwork. 
and we zoom in and we study the detail, we try and work out the intricacies and, and how God's knit things together. But at the end of the day, that, that stuff helps us understand the depths of what God has done and His doing and His love. But when we, we, we don't fight over whether that dot's blue or green or turquoise or, or Pacific blue or... We, we, we look at it, but then we look stand back and say, but isn't the picture so beautiful? Isn't God's love amazing? Isn't God's plan of salvation just amazing? So this morning, we've been zooming in. We're going to zoom in a little bit, and we're going to zoom out, and we're going to zoom back in. I hope you can keep tracking with me. But let's read this morning in Nehemiah chapter 13. We don't ignore the detail to presume what the detail is either. We want to zoom in and see the detail, but we need to zoom out and see the big picture. Nehemiah 11 and 12, which which we're sort of skipping over this morning, Nehemiah 11, it talks about the people that are chosen to go back to to resettle within the walls of Jerusalem. Because remember, these people are from all over Judea. They're not all from Jerusalem, the people that go back. And in chapter 12, it's about the, the Levites and the ded- dedication of the walls. And they, these people celebrate. Deidre was talking last week about how they had ashes and mourning and, and sackcloth. And then they celebrate again in chapter 12. But then in chapter 13, which is sometime later, let's read. We're just going to read a few little passages out of Nehemiah 13. Let's start off in verse 6. This is Nehemiah speaking. I was not in Jerusalem at that time... For I returned to King Xerxes of Babylon, I think I got it at that time, in the 32nd year of his reign, though I later asked his permission to return. When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Eliashib's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I became very angry and very upset and threw out all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified and I brought back the articles from God's temple, the grain offerings and the frankincense. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food. So they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services had all returned to work with their fields. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called all the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. Skipping down to verse 15. In those days I saw the men of Judah treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys, and bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. Some men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem at that. So I confronted the nobles of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way? I asked. Wasn't it just this sort of thing that your ancestors did that caused our God to bring all this trouble upon us and our city? Now you are bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. Skipping down to 23. About that same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or of some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. This guy's angry. (laughs) 
I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin, I demanded? There was no king from any nation who could compare to him, and God loved him and made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. How could you even think of committing this sinful deed and acting unfaithfully toward God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of uh, Joadiah, son of Eliashib, the high priest, had married a daughter of Sambalat, the Horonite. So I banished him from my presence. So I purged out everything foreign and asked uh, and assigned tasks to the priests and Levites, making certain that each knew his work. I also made sure that the supply of wood for the altar and the first por- portions of the harvest were brought at the proper times. Remember this in my favour, O God. And there ends the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah gets pretty angry when these guys start turning back to the other things. But we're going to pause there for a moment. And we're going to zoom out. We're going to zoom out a few thousand years. And we're going to move across and we're going to zoom in at another time in history, 2016, and uh, I'm going to get Justin to come and share, where is he? There he is, <laughs> about his trip to PNG recently. Uh, he's been over there with YWAM, and actually maybe just as he's come, can we put that video on, guys? Thanks for that.
adventure. <laughs> what, a, what an adventure. Uh, so it probably brings back some memories for a few of us that have been to PNG too. Uh, well, thank you for the relation to PNG. I better make sure I read these questions, otherwise I'll ask him different ones to what I told him I was going to ask. <laughs> so Justin, do you want to just tell us a bit about the trip? What did you expect and what did you actually end up doing? Yeah, so uh, I went as uh, a writer on board the ship. So there are different um, teams on board and one of them is media. So there's your optometry team, ophthalmology, dentistry, um, marine crew and uh, housekeeping, galley. And yeah, media is one of the teams. And um, yeah, so I went as a writer originally. So I did some journalism studies you at uni. You didn't want to do that, did you? No, no, there <laughs> wasn't... Uh, it wasn't something that I was really looking forward to because <laughs> it always gives me, it makes me a little bit nervous writing. But um, I went anyway and it, it worked out really well and, and God really led me into doing the video side of things as well, um, which was, was, was really exciting. It's not something I've done much of before, but um, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And 4,000 something patients on there. What, that's yes. pretty awesome. Yeah, over the two weeks around, they saw around 4,000 patients and did around 5,000 immunizations. Um, which I think was a record, so yeah, that yeah. was pretty exciting. What, what a blessing to so many people, that whole trip. But yeah, Was there anything you felt like God uh, taught you or spoke to you about while you were on the trip? Yeah, I guess uh, I didn't realise it at the time, but it was more when I came back. Um, I really I felt like God was putting on my heart that, um, that missions isn't just for overseas. There's so much um, emphasis, I think, in the church that um, overseas missions is... Is, um, is, is the most important thing to do. But um, I think our mission at home is just as important. Um, I think overseas missions is really important, but um, as Jesus said, um, he calls us to love our neighbour. And our, our neighbour isn't just um, someone in another country, they're not just our international neighbour, it's our, our neighbours here at home as well. So yeah. yeah, that's what I really felt. Yeah. That's great. Uh, was there any particular story or moment that impacted you most? And this is where you're supposed to talk about Bray. Yeah. <laughs> we've we've talked already. <laughs> beforehand. There was a young guy called um, called Bray. Funnily <laughs> enough, he was a 17-year-old who had uh, cataracts in both of his eyes. Um, so he hadn't been out of sea for about three years. And um, yeah, there had been another young guy a couple of outreaches ago that um, had the same issue and that they'd operated on, and he still wasn't able to see afterwards. So they were a bit um, hesitant as to whether the surgery would work because there can be other damage to the eye and, and to the optical part of the brain. But, um, but yeah, there was lots of prayer. They, there was lots of prayer back home in uh, the YWAM base in Townsville and on the ship. And, yeah, they did, they did the surgery and straight away he was able to see as soon as they took the eye patch off the next day, yeah, he could, he could see out of the one eye they'd operated on. They're like, right, let's, let's do the second one. And that one was successful as well. And um, so that was a real answer to prayer. And, and uh, just to see the look on his face when he saw his brother for yeah. the first time in, in three years as well was, um, yeah, pretty special. Mm. Absolutely. Is there any other thoughts or anything else you wanted to share about the trip? Just yeah, I guess um, YWAM stands for Youth with a Mission. It's always been traditionally seen as just like a youth organisation. But I really felt that I should say that it isn't just youth that, that YOM works with. It's made up of people of all ages. You're hardly youth still anyway. Yeah, that's right. I'm not youth. <laughs> um, but yeah, 
Yeah, they require people of all ages. They they run DTSs, not just for young people, not just for D youth. Discipleship training schools. Yeah, discipleship yeah. training schools. Yeah, <laughs> um, they have an all generations DTS. Um, so yeah, for for the organisation to run, they need people of all ages. So mission isn't just for young people. Um, yeah, people of all ages are, are needed, um, especially for their life experience. Um, for those in the medical profession and and in any other profession as well. It's really important for mission. So, anyone, we want you, we, we we love having people here, but we can't be greedy, and we need to let you, we need to release one another to go out. And I think it's just been awesome to see Justin go and, and the impact that the trips had. So, thanks, Justin. Let's give Justin a hand. And <laughs> thanks, Justin. <coughs> I love what he said too about how we're we're all on mission. We're all on a mission. We're all are called to a mission, and that mission is here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> Um, but to be honest, I, th I think I can be a little bit like Bray. I think we can all be a little bit like Bray, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. But a, a few years ago, actually it was about 15 years ago, I had a car that was a great little yellow uh, Nissan Pulsar, um, 81 model I think it was. And uh, one day my radiator turned it into a fountain, and radiators that are fountains don't work, work very well as cooling devices anymore. And I didn't realise it was become a fountain, but I realised when I saw the smoke and the steam and the... Yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> I pulled over anyway and I got it towed back to mum and dad's place when I was living back there at the time, before I was married. And uh, I was a little bit annoyed, <laughs> frustrated, and because uh, I'd, I'd cooked the motor. And I'm, I was so frustrated. And it sat at the front of the house, I, I think it was on the front nature strip actually. <laughs> dad's going, don't tell everyone this. <laughs> but... Um, Actually, Rochelle was in Indonesia for a month and I drove her car for a bit, at least a month and then the Nicholsons were way up in Queensland and they let me drive their car for a couple of weeks and so I drove a whole heap of different cars in that few months. So it was at least a few months I didn't have this car and I was so frustrated because I didn't have the money to buy another one. I knew it was going to cost more to repair it than it was to, to uh, buy a new one. But then finally I, I eventually took the advice of my dad and, uh, and got it towed to a mechanic who wasn't me, who actually knew something about cars. And uh, within about two or three days, I had my car back. It was fantastic. <laughs> but for, the, for months, I had been so annoyed, so frustrated, just, just trying to get by, begging and borrowing and, and using other people's cars and riding my bike. But I, I just lived like, oh, well, this is just how it is. I'm just going to have to deal with it. But then finally, when I took it to the, someone who actually could fix it, suddenly I had my car back in a, a matter of days. I was flabbergasted. <laughs> but I think it's true for all of us that we can be like Bray and think, this is just how it is. I'm blind. This is my situation. This is my circumstance. Uh, this is just how it's going to be for the rest of my life. But we don't go to the one who can actually help us in our trouble. We just think, oh, I'll just, I'll, I'll just make allowances for it in my life. I'll just do the best I can and, and, and make my way through life with this thing that's now a part of me and I'm never going to be able to get rid of it. I'm not saying God's going to heal every blind person and make them see again. But I'm sure all of us have some moments when we just make compensations in our life, when actually God just wants us to turn to Him. I just think of Abraham and Sarah in, in Genesis 15, 16, when they're waiting for this child that God has promised and they're about 100 years old and finally they think, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to happen and they, they make a compensation, they think, well, we'll just do it our own way, we'll make it happen. And 
Abraham sleeps with Hagar and there's Ishmael born. And we know that the, the conflict and the, the results of that throughout history, instead of trusting in God, the one who could bring a child to be born. And I've got to say, I don't think many of us have had to wait till we're 100 to have an answer to prayer and be patient till we're 100 yet. Anyone here been patient to 100? I don't think there's anyone that's 100 here. It would have been a hard journey. John chapter 8, verse 12 says, oops, sorry, is this, uh, can you just click on the slide for me? Thanks, guys. I am the light of the world, Jesus speaking. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If our perspective, if our understanding is that Jesus is our Savior, that He lives in us, that His Spirit lives within us, then we have the light of life that leads to eternal life, that we never have to walk in darkness because His light is with us. His light is there to shine the, His light on the path ahead of us. And we don't have to walk in darkness. Then, uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about when we find our joy in God, He makes us strong. We may feel like we're blind and there's nothing we can do about it, but when we, when we come to Him, when we find our joy in God and trust in Him, He makes us strong. He changes our perspective and our prison can become a passport instead. I heard a story at Hillsong Conference about a guy who had motor neuron disease and he was given a death sentence basically saying you've got 20 months to live and this guy with motor neuron disease there was a time when he just was totally overcome with emotion about what had happened and, and the fact that he was going to die and he was never going to be able I don't, I don't know a lot about the disease but basically he would lose his speech he'd lose his bodily movements and he'd never be able to speak and he would die within 20 months and to begin with, it was a prison. He, he felt locked up by this condition. But then he had a revelation that he had a passport into a community of people that he would otherwise would never have had the opportunity to meet. And he began to share the gospel with people. And he showed photos of, I can't remember how many people that he'd led to Christ and that he'd done their funerals and parts of their family had come to Christ. Instead of it becoming a prison, it became a passport into a community where he was able to preach the gospel and see God glorified. I wonder what our blindness is this morning. I wonder what our situation is. The book of Nehemiah <coughs> isn't just about God's ability to help rebuild walls. It reminds us that God is faithful to His promises of blessings and of judgment. Because to be honest, the book of Nehemiah wouldn't exist if they hadn't rebelled, if they hadn't disobeyed God and they'd been punished for what they'd done. If they hadn't been judged and sent into exile, the book of Nehemiah would never have been written because they wouldn't have returned to the land. It reminds us that God is faithful to His promises of blessing, but also His promises of judgment. And each and every person is going to meet their maker one day. There is a judgment for all people. We will give an account for our actions. God is faithful to His blessings and to His judgments. Nehemiah is a story about God's ability to change and restore a nation. When people cry out to Him, when someone is willing to stand up to leave their place of comfort, and saying that, he was a slave as a cupbearer in the king's palace. There was some comfort there, but he left that place and faithfully stood up for God's kingdom and His glory. I heard someone talking about the phrase, we're in the world but we're not of it, the other day. I can't remember who it was. Um, and I, I think the, the idea of this saying is that we, we don't compromise who we are even though we're in the world and trying to reach people in the world. And I think that's good. 
But I think, to be honest, we can probably subconsciously say this saying sometimes and even think about it subconsciously. And it's actually almost like, <sighs> big sigh, we're in the world, but we're not of it. We're just waiting for heaven. We're in the world, but we're not of it. We're just waiting for heaven. I think we can subconsciously have that mindset sometimes. But that is so far from the intent in the passage that Jesus says in John 17, that 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 phrase is taken from. It's so far from the intent that Jesus had in that passage. I just want us to turn there for a moment. Again, we're zooming in somewhere else, and we're going to zoom out at the finish. John chapter 17, verse 14 to 19. I have given them your word, and your and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. He says, they do not belong to the world. He's talking about us. He's praying for all people who would believe in Him in all generations. Sam talked about this passage the other week. He says, they do not belong to the world. That isn't the goal for us to try and become separated from the world. That's not the goal. We're not called to be monks that hide away in places and separate ourselves from the world. But that is the basis we now go from. We are now new creations in Christ. We are not of this earth. We are of our Father in heaven. If you believe in Jesus, if He is your Savior, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Your your reality is in heaven. We're on this earth for a a temporary time, but our, our home is in heaven. You do not belong to this world. It's not the real. It's not the goal. It's like the starting block that we run from, that we go from. He says, not, not asking God to take us out of the world. Even though just before that in John 16 verse 33, he talks about the trials and suffering that await all of us. He knows that trials and sufferings are, are waiting for us. And he, and he says, God, I don't want you to take them out of it. I want you to help them through it. I want you to, I want you to keep them safe from the evil one. And I, I, I see that as him, him saying, not even necessarily deliver us from the situation but God let them stay strong through the the challenge that they go through he says make them holy by your truth in other words the actual word is sanctify them we've been justified we've been it's just as if I'd never sinned we've been justified because of what Jesus has done on the cross but God wants to sanctify us to to make us saintly to make us more and more conform to the image of Christ as we know His Word. And then He says, As you sent me, I am sending them into the world. How clear is that? We're not to be separated from the world. Uh, we, we might know the phrase of, we're in the world but not of it, but I think it should be, we're in the world and sent to it. We're, we're not of the world, but we've been sent into it. And he says, I've given myself as a holy sacrifice for them. What an example he's given us to lay down our lives for the message. The message of Nehemiah is that God is able and faithful 
in his time. God is able, he is faithful, and he will do what he has promised in his timing. We can always trust God's timing. We can always trust his promises. But for us as believers in Christ, we're not in the Old Testament anymore. We're followers of Jesus. We're, we're disciples. And he has appointed us to be ones that go back, almost like Nehemiah, even though he was probably fairly comfortable in the place he was in, he went back to the, the city to, to see the walls rebuilt. He's appointed us to be ones that go back, to be messengers of the hope that is Jesus Christ. He is the hope of all the world. He's the one that saves us from sin. He wants us to challenge people's perspectives that their, their prison might become a passport to freedom, that they might see that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the way to eternal life. And instead of being bitter or broken or just even thinking this life's a temporary thing and we'll just make the most of it while we're here, but God wants us to be messengers of hope that help people see that there is more to life than just living for the moment. There's a purpose, there's a point. There's an eternal life that God is calling for us. This morning I want to ask you, let's be inspired by the book of Nehemiah. Let's be inspired by Justin choosing to go to a nation where he probably felt quite uncomfortable. He didn't tell you the whole story of how he applied to be a general team member. And then they said, can you please be a journalist? And he said, oh no, please no. <laughs> but then he didn't know until he got there that he was actually doing video. It was, it, was, it was an uncomfortable thought to be doing something he didn't want to do. But he went back. He chose to go, even though he didn't have the role, the function he wanted to have. And God calls us to serve in His kingdom, not always in the way that we want to serve. Not always in the way that's nice and comfortable and easy for us. Let's be inspired by those who'd send a helicopter for a 20-month-old baby. And, and that we would, that they gave their resources to do everything they could to help my little boy. I wonder, will we give all of our resources, will we put all we have on the line, will we put all we have in the game to go back to spread the message, to help others know the hope that we have, to reach out to those who are darkness, to those who are blind, those who are dying and see no way out. Will we go back to share the, this message of hope about Jesus? Will we go out from this place today with the, with the goal and the, the, the desire to be ones who sh share this message of hope, to, to, to see people's lives rebuilt on the foundation of Jesus Christ, that they too might be new creations? There's four questions I want to finish with this morning. For you to ask yourself, how does God want my perspectives to change? How does He want my perspective to change? Nehemiah was probably quite comfortable in the courts of the king, just serving as a cupbearer. But God changed his perspective when he heard about his people that were living in a broken city. He heard about the, his, his people that were in a horrible place. And his perspective was changed and he, he, just, he chose to go back. He chose to ask the king for something that, naturally speaking, he probably never thought he would have. How does God want your perspective to change? Maybe you feel like, oh, this is just on, in the place I am. I'm blind. I'm, I'm this. I'm that. I can't do it. But how does God want to enlarge your vision? How does he want to change your perspective? To see something that you felt like is a prison 
to become a passport to people and opportunities to share the gospel, to share the good news with other people. Justin uses his, his uh, writing background. I wonder what the thing is in your life that God would want you to see as a passport to share the message of hope and truth in your workplace, wherever it is that God would lead you. Secondly, in what ways have I said, have you said, this is just how it is? So I'll forget about that promise. I'll, I'll just try and get by. I'll try and make the promise happen myself. I'll try and just make it happen. In what ways have you said, this is just how it is? What, what dream, what word of, has God spoken that you've just let go of and thought, this is never going to happen. I'm just going to make the best of the, the, the situation I'm in. What promises have you let go of that God wants you to pick up again this, this morning? Thirdly, have I settled in for heaven, forgetting those around me? Have we settled in for heaven? We're in this world, but not of it. We'll just make the most of this life. We'll have the most comfortable couch. We'll have the most whatever it is. And have we forgotten those around us that haven't yet discovered the passport to heaven, which is Jesus Christ? Fourthly, God always shows grace to those who humble themselves. But he, as the Bible says, He opposes the proud. So I'm asked this morning, in what way do we need to humble ourselves? In what way do, do, do I need to humble myself? In what way do you need to humble yourself? I am so sure there is things in every one of our lives that we need to humble ourselves about again this morning. Maybe it's to, to give our lives to Christ again this morning, that we've, we've just been living for ourselves, we've never understood that Jesus died on the cross, that we could have eternal life, that we could be brought back into relationship with our sins forgiven. Maybe that's how you need to humble yourself. Maybe you need to ask someone else to pray with you. Just as that, that guy Bray humbled himself to come to a ship, even thinking this is probably not going to change me maybe. But he humbled himself and asked for someone to help him. I wonder if maybe you need a little operation in your heart. You need someone to pray for you that God would do something in your heart and change your heart. Or maybe there's an instruction you need to obey that you've been running from, that you've ignored, that you've been just trying to do everything else and try and please God and show people, yeah, you're a good Christian person, but you're ignoring that instruction, that, o that obedience that God is calling you to. Maybe you're feeling a little bit like a Jonah this morning, that you're just trying to run everywhere but the place He wants you to go to. I wonder how do we need to humble ourselves this morning? Let's ask the band to come and we're going to close this morning. I'm sort of finish on a challenge there. I don't want you to finish feeling too sombre. <laughs> I think we first need to humble ourselves and be sombre. James says, let there be tears for the wrong things we've done and then He will lift us up. And this morning, maybe you need to let some tears go and you need to say, so God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for the things I've done, the things I've not done, for, for living life just for myself. I'm in the world, but not of it. I'm just waiting for heaven. Maybe you're like Nehemiah in the king's palace, still sitting there thinking, I've got to go back, I've got to go back, I've got to go back, but you're too afraid to ask the king for permission to go. 
God has an awesome plan. Let's zoom out for a moment and see His awesome plan of salvation. His, his, his love for us is so amazing. His plans for us are for good and not for evil, to, for good and not disaster, to give us a future and a hope. And if we trust Him, it's the best way to live. It's the greatest thing you can do is to, to day by day walk with God trusting Him. I'm preaching to myself right now. There's moments when we just try and do it in our own strength, but let's trust Him. Let's humble ourselves day by day and ask Him to lead us, ask Him to guide us and use us and help us. Can we stand this morning? We're going to sing this song. I will walk through the fire. Anyone willing to walk through the fire? Can we just put those words up? I will walk through the valley. I will walk through the, what's the other one? Storm. Storm. I won't be overcome. For the Lord is, He is able, He is faithful, higher than the mountains that I face. In every season, I will press on. He is God of all. He is Lord over all. He's God of our good times and He's God of our bad times. And this morning, I just want to encourage you, please respond as you need to. If you want to turn, turn to the person beside you, maybe you need to ask them for forgiveness. Maybe you want to ask them to pray for you. If you'd like us to pray for you, please come down. We'd love to pray with you this morning. And let's declare this this morning. I will walk. I will go. I won't be overcome. I'm going to be here for God's glory. I'm going to go back. I'm going to be a messenger of hope. In Jesus' name.